Hey, welcome back. Thank you for joining us again. Another episode of Fun Sexy Bible Time. Co-host today doesn't need a big introduction. Been here before several times. Natty C, Nasty Nate, Nate Claiborne, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Are you coming to us from the uh, your the Fun Sexy Bible Time Orlando Bureau? I am, yeah. I've uh, finishing up spring break and still in Orlando, but heading out to California on a senior trip on Wednesday. So caught it, caught it just in time. Are you going to be policing PDA on the senior trip? More or less. I mean, it's uh, there's a this year around. There's a pretty high adult to student ratio, so I think we should be good. But you never know. Mm. Plus, there's the wrinkle of a uh, pot being legalized. <laughs> um, so it does violate the school's honor code, yet at the same time they could legally, anyone who's 18, um, partake. Mm. Good old Christian school. I'm getting flashbacks. Mm. All right. Well, today um, we are going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about uh, <laughs> topics that just naturally go together. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Missing Richard Simmons podcast, which Nate and I both we're sort of fascinated by so we were going to talk about that for a few minutes and then obviously that segues seamlessly into uh talking about talking about john goslin uh, is now apparently a male stripper uh, so we can get into that uh and also a few other things if we have time just depending on how this goes but to start off with nick claiborne what's the deal with richard simmons you know i kind of I kind of feel cheated that I listened to all six episodes of that podcast driving across Georgia and still do not know what's up with Richard Simmons. <laughs> the podcast was really well done, I thought. Like, it really held you until the final episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I, I think I was. it was one of a uh, – I was just looking for something to add to my podcast lineup for a big road trip, and I saw it was like number two or number three. Um, and I caught it right in between five and six. So I listened to all five in a row and then I got six on my way back home. Uh So, and I noticed, I think we had kind of talked about this a little bit and you have your theories, but there there was definitely a shift between the end of five (laughs) and what it, what it kind of implied might happen in six or could happen in six. And then what actually happened in six which ended up getting released like two days early and was very anticlimactic and also kind of, he got rid of all of his own theories in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just, it feels like something you, you, you have your theory, but it feels like something could have happened between five and six that was unsaid, unmentioned, unmentionable. Uh, yes, and I, oh, I will mention it right now. I feel like it was the threat of serious litigation. <laughs> that does tone things down pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I thought episode five was really, like, episode five felt like he was close to understanding what was happening. Mm-hmm. Like, it felt like, you know, when he was going through his thing about, you know, Richard just, you know, he was helping people and then he got burnt out. And then he, he just quit. Like he something something happened that forced him to the sideline. And then once he was on the sideline, he just decided he was never going to get back into it. That that actually made some sense to me. Yeah. Well, and so I, that's kind of where, as I was listening to it, um, 
this is going to be a, a little bit of a backstory, but it, it'll all kind of tie together. We, for the teacher training at the school I teach at, we did a workshop on the Enneagram personality test, mm-hmm. which I had loosely heard of, but hadn't paid much attention to, but found the test really helpful, transformative, useful. It wasn't necessarily life-changing. I know I used some big words there that may have implied that it was life-changing, but it's just a very useful way of self-understanding, and so much so that I actually have an article um, in the editing phase for Christ and pop culture on that and other tests and how they may fit into the Christian life. If I can self-promote just in my backstory. Listen, you, can, uh, you self-promote as much as you need to as a, as a veteran co-host of fun, sexy Bible time. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to keep that in mind. So I'm, um, I'm, I need to get better in shameless self-promotion. My, my wife does a good job of it for me. Um, but she's not necessarily going to come on fun, sexy Bible time. So, um, Anyways, so just I had that kind of rolling around in the back of my mind because I'd just written the article on it. And so it's kind of like I filtered the whole Richard Simmons because they're, they're doing like a psychological analysis of Richard Simmons without calling it that directly. Mm-hmm. Filtering it through that, that personality test. And so he sounds a lot – and I don't want to go into too much detail about this and bore the listeners. But he sounds a lot like a certain number on the personality test. Mm-hmm. Um, that when that number is in a really good place, they're like the life of the party, like very like, um, but in the sense of like, they want the party to be the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. So very, but the, that number in and of itself is also very focused on helping people, reforming society, culture, that sort of thing. And I, I was just struck by in the earlier episodes where it talks about Simmons was briefly, in seminary pursuing priesthood, pursuing ministry, mm-hmm. and then decided he wanted to do health and fitness instead. And he, he had that line about he thought he could do the Lord's work by having a larger pulpit or a different pulpit. Uh-huh. So it just it made me think of we have all these pastors that have gotten burned out, that have fallen, that have just gotten exhausted by ministry. And it just it made me think, OK, well, if he's that number on that test, maybe, maybe not. Um, but it definitely was, he was spending a lifetime really pouring all of his efforts and energy into helping people. And it's not surprising that he would eventually get burned out. Um, and when that particular number gets burned out, the direction that they go is to be moody, self withdrawn, just kind of like go into their shell and just completely cut themselves off from larger society. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's very easy to just walk away and cut ties So it made me think, too, about my own, like, just being involved in ministry, you can really make an impact on people in a way that they feel closer to you than you feel to them. And so you kind of cutting ties with them to them feels like a really big deal. But to you, they're, for the most part, just one of hundreds of, or in his case, thousands of people that you've helped. And when you're helping, you're pouring all this emotional energy into them. But when you're not, there's like nothing there for them. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. I does go ahead. Doesn't explain exactly what might have triggered the whole thing, but yeah. like psychologically, it made sense to me. Part of it is because I'm that number two, okay. and so I could totally see if I really went into a bad place, I would pull the plug on pretty much all of my social relationships and not really be bothered at all by it. I mean, you still come on. You still co-host Fun Sexy Bible Time, wouldn't you? I mean. That's the, well, it'd be like a very emo, fun, sexy Bible time. I don't even know what that would involve, but. Um, 
you know, the, the show really picked up a lot of backlash, like around episode six and immediately after episode six. Uh, you know, a lot of people sort of, and I wasn't prepared for this. A lot of people criticize the show of, you know, this is an invasion of privacy. Uh, you know, that we're, we're taking advantage, you know, Dan Taberski is taking advantage of Richard Simmons. And I gotta say, like, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't totally agree with that line of thinking that, you know, the show was a bad thing. Um, yeah. Because I think, you know, Richard Simmons, does he deserve privacy? Like, I mean, yes, he deserves privacy insofar as that we shouldn't be banging on his windows and doors all hours of the night trying to find him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, talking to people about what happened and if this guy is okay, like, I don't know that that constitutes an invasion of privacy. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. I think it may have just been that, like you said, because it was so well done, it may have felt obsessive in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Um, and, and maybe I think it was the last episode where he talked about Richard getting the gift for Barbara Streisand that she sends back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just kind of like, kind of thinking from that, that Richard would, um, enjoy the grand gesture. Um, but I'm just, I was just thinking of it just, you know, I'm filtering it through my own experience. And if he is a similar personality type. I actually go the other way. Like if somebody does like a really grand gesture and I really don't want that, it actually pushes me a lot farther away and would make me want to put up walls to keep them farther out. Yeah. I, I think the, the, the relevant clue was, I think it was his manager or somebody was talking about how he was the most stubborn person they had ever met. Mm. And like, you know, keeping that in mind, you know, I, <laughs> reaching out to him in such a grand gesture, I think that's going to have the opposite effect, like you were saying. Like, yeah, it's almost like okay, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to the public on my terms, not on your terms. Like, I have to mm-hmm. I have to be in control of this. Yeah, well, and you, I would say too, like that um, that personality type is also kind of perfectionistic, which means when they do things, they do them really well, but they also, like you're saying, want to be in control of the narrative and the way things unfold, and are not going to be kind of goaded into doing something they didn't already want to do. Uh-huh. Uh, and it actually is, it can, you end up kind of getting like resentment build up mm-hmm. um, for trying to be like anything that feels like it might be manipulation. Yeah. It just stirs up an even more severe reaction. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely see Richard being very angry about the podcast. So not, not that people are concerned about him, but that like he's feeling like people were trying to, cajole him into responding mm-hmm. like oh you made this podcast and now i have to say something to you or i have to come back into the public eye when i'm not really ready to do that and i don't really want to at the moment anyways yeah. like I, i'll show you i won't say anything kind of thing yeah i thought one of the most interesting things was in one of the like biggest i don't want to say gray area or unanswered question was just the topic of Richard's sexuality. I thought that was really interesting because uh, Taberski sort of like kind of halfway outed him, but didn't quite. And it was mm-hmm. like, to me, and I, I have no inside information. I'm just speculating. It almost sounded like even Dan Taberski wasn't quite sure about Richard's sexuality. Yeah, because it's I think it's just I mean, I had just always assumed, and I think everyone else had assumed that he was very flamboyantly gay, uh, 
before that was very mainstream, before there was gay rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting that he's never publicly addressed it one way or the other. He's never had a very obvious love interest per se. Mm-hmm. There was the uh, the massage therapist or the masseur mm-hmm. um, that he in that I think it was episode one or two kind of implied there might have been something there, but even that was just sort of a it's just conjecture. Like there's nothing stated. The the guy what was his name Moro Moro yeah he did I don't remember him saying anything that would confirm it one way or the other. Yeah, and Tversky was sort of tiptoeing around it whenever he was interviewing more directly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I, I think sometimes, and we've, I've talked about this on the show before, but I think sometimes we just get locked into a, a binary interpretation of sexuality that, like, it's just so much easier. Like, we just need people to be gay or straight, gay or straight, gay or straight. And we don't leave a lot of, you know, I mean, I think sometimes sexuality can be very fluid. And then, I mean, what if he's, you know, what, or not just him, but like, what if somebody is just not sexual? You know, what if, you know, what if, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, what if somebody is, is, you know, does not feel strong attractions to either gender? Yeah. Someone who's truly asexual in the, in the sense of orientation. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I'm not throwing that at Richard Simmons. I'm just saying sometimes it's not just, it's not cut and dry. Sometimes there's, you know, sometimes it's, yeah. it's complicated. Yeah, I mean, for what it's worth, something that's been helpful for me in that is that having a really good friend who um, came out to me a couple years ago, mm-hmm. but it, in in his particular experience, it is, it, I guess it's, it kind of, it. he's probably what you would classify as bisexual, but at the same time, he even rejects that label. Uh-huh. And so people that he's talked to, I think, really would want to just kind of categorize him as when they when he says, oh, I experience sexual attraction to other men, that immediately means gay and nothing else. Yeah. Um, which, you know, you could say, well, that is kind of the essence of homosexuality. But at the same time, it's like he's he really fights against reducing attraction to physicality in some ways, which I think. I've, as I've reflected on it, I've noticed most people who would classify themselves as heterosexual almost purely think of attraction in physical terms. Mm-hmm. And this, this over, even within like Christian culture, this over physicalizing of attraction, you know, like the, if we want to get back into like old school Christian Twitter things, we can talk about how the, the overuse of pastors talking about their smoking hot wife. <laughs> You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, as if that's the only relevant characteristic of their wife is that she's quote smoking hot. That um, I would be totally okay if my wife got on Twitter and described me in her bio as a smoking hot husband. Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want that label? To be honest, <laughs> gay, gay, straight, you know, husband, wife. Um, but yeah, it's just this sort of like thinking of attraction is only a physical thing. And then we don't really know what to do with when people are like emotionally attracted to someone else Mm -hmm. and they don't even necessarily know how to process it. Like we don't really have good categories for close male friendships that have an attraction component to them, but it's not physical. Mm -hmm. Like you're attracted to the other person's personality, sense of humor, and it's not sexual, but it is still 
there is some magnetism to it. I believe the correct scientific term is bromance. I was going to say, yeah, it is. It is. That is the term for sure. But it's almost like that's our way of like dealing with the fact that we really don't have a category for it. And so we, we have to categorize it in romantic terms because there we don't really. I mean, friendship is hard just as an adult, but then even having close friendships, it's, you know, no one wants to have the lines blurred um, or be categorized or, you know, I don't know. Just we, we just struggle with closeness and intimacy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is a whole, I, I wouldn't necessarily, wasn't necessarily expecting to go in like any kind of deep directions here, but it's just sort of like, well, it does bring up. I guess, and maybe that to to kind of tie back in, I think that's what I found so interesting about the Richard Simmons podcast Uh is it's, it's a narrative. It's a, it's a narrative from someone outside of any kind of Christian sphere of influence or Twitter or whatever. Um, Talking about a real life story. And it feels like when you really deal with real life stories and issues, it sheds light on other concerns that might be found within Christian culture. Yeah. And maybe maybe we need more people doing things like that, like actually looking outside of the circles to then bring insight back in instead of just having this giant echo chamber. Well, you, you, you raise an interesting point that this was someone approaching it from outside, outside the, the family of Christianity. Because I think one of the unexplored uh, angles on that was explicitly Christian, and maybe Dan Taberski just didn't see it or, or, or wasn't equipped to deal with it. But I always thought that Richard Simmons, the interesting thing was just his Catholic background and mm-hmm. what that, what the residue of that, and maybe residue is not the right word, but how that would still impacts him today, like because that could that 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 could touch so many different parts of him of trying to help people. You know, how does that affect his sexuality? How does that affect, um, you know, his self-image? Yeah. yeah, that could be a very powerful part of it that we, you know, we just nobody's really ever talked that much about. Yeah, well, and, and you say like in, in that whole little segment where it was talking about when he was in seminary, it was kind of like uh, it was edited to where there was like him talking, but then there was also like him like almost doing an altar call in front of an audience for people that wanted to really make the commitment to lose weight. And it's like, if you've ever been to Christian youth camp, it it is like, if you turned off the audio and you played, you know, if you played it side by side, like you could overlay the audio of a youth camp speaker to what Richard Simmons was saying and the body language and everything would be perfectly in sync. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was kind of eerie listening to do that because he clearly took his cues from from the the preachers that I, I listened to when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And they, did they even did they even compare it overtly to TV preachers like Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart? I don't think they they called him by name, but they they laid it out pretty clearly that that's you know that was his his method. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll always wonder like what happens, like what what happened between episodes five and six. Because yeah, I don't know what they, there was three different versions of episode five. They kept having to cut stuff out. I'm guessing for legal reasons. Mm. But in one of the episode five, they teased some kind of intervention at Richard Simmons' house. Yeah, I think I I picked up on that in like one of the ending bits where it sounded like they actually went to his house. And so I'm wondering if 
they went to his house. They actually had some stuff recorded. Um, and then before episode six aired, they were kind of notified that like, Hey, if you actually air that, here's what's going to happen. And I can't figure out, I, I can't figure out what they had that was so, that would have spurred the legal threats. Like what, I don't know. Like there's just so much, so much I, I, confusion to me about it. Of How could he, how could they prevent him from airing that when he's just talking about somebody? Would it be slander maybe? Would they threaten him? lawsuit of slander yeah it could be that i mean they could have actually trespassed yeah i guess so in in some way or like just enough because it could have been one of those things where i mean he obviously wasn't afraid to go up and knock on random people's doors and he had already tried that there and gotten turned away by Teresa. Mm -hmm. yeah good times Good times. Maybe there'll be a. I, I'm used about this. Maybe there'll be a, a retrospective uh, missing, missing Richard Simmons, kind of looking back on what could have been. You know, I thought. I thought the uh, what could have been the greatest. It could have been the greatest marketing move of all time. That they did this whole series, and then at the end of the sixth episode, you realize that Richard Simmons was in on it. And, like, uh, and it, yeah. they just use it as a springboard to launch like his next venture or whatever. Like that would have been incredible. Mm-hmm. Like if they got to the end and they actually made it in his house and sat down with him, and he just starts talking and he's like, you know, guys, I've been out of the spotlight for so long. Now I'm ready to come back in. You know, sweating the oldies six now available. <laughs> yeah, it ends up being a, it's a six episode commercial. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think Twitter would have broken if that had happened. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we need to seamlessly segue uh, away from Richard Simmons into the lives of John and Kate Gosselin, who may seem like a strange topic for this podcast, but this whole podcast is strange. Like, there's no, there, there's no, there's no standard here. Um, I don't know if you remember this, but John and Kate Gosselin, for a brief time, were darlings in the in Christian culture. Like they had a book out, and they were doing like a speaking tour of churches, and you know, Christian culture sort of had the spotlight on them of like, oh, you know, these these guys can hold the uh, hold the flag for a little while. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that. I think that was that peaked. See, John and Kate plus eight started in 2007, I think. Yeah. And that was the year I moved to Dallas and started seminary. So for the first two years I was there, my only access to TV was whatever I could get on Hulu. And it primarily consisted of The Office. <laughs> I think the, uh, the book came out 2008 or 2009, somewhere in there. Mm. And um, my, I think my both of my parents, at least my mom, actually saw them at a uh, went and saw them at some kind of mega church where they were doing like a uh, like a speaking tour promoting the book and promoting you know I guess their Christian testimony and uh, she seemed to think they were pretty solid but not long after that everything sort of fell apart I was gonna say was it, it I, I guess my because I let's see they got divorced in 2009 and then they both just kind of went off the rails after then. Um, and then wasn't there, there was Kate plus eight for a while. Yeah. Um, 
And then it's, oh, it looks like Kate plus eight. There was actually an episode or a season of it last fall. Yeah, I think it's one of these things where they come back every once in a while and do a few shows. Yeah. I think my perspective of it was it seemed like, okay, so we want to hold these people up as like this. They were, what, a blended family? Um, no, they were Chris, uh, No, they, were, they weren't a blended family. They were. Uh, they got married, and I don't know if they were having problems conceiving or whatever, but they had, you know, the twins and then the sex tablets. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah, so I don't know if it was like, was that like a warm up for the Duggars kind of like? <sighs> they were the they were the Duggars before the Duggars were Duggars. They were like Duggars light. <laughs> anyway, we we bring this up because John Gosselin is is back in the news. Um, apparently, he is now a male stripper and will be doing a, a one night only, uh, some kind of show in Atlantic City. Um, I, I'm probably not going to go to it, Nate. Yeah, I'd, um, just I'm trying to see when it actually is, so that I can confirm that I won't be there. Um, did we already miss it? No, I think it's. Uh, I don't think it's happened yet. I, I'm looking. I, I don't know if this is weird or not, but I'm looking at an article about it on Fox News. <laughs> okay, so here's my question for any, for not for any, but for all of the female listeners, female listeners specifically, if I'm sexy by all time. My question is, did Kate Gosselin fool you at any point? Because I feel, and I'm not bragging, I, I've misread people. I misread people all the t- misread people all the time. I feel like the pretty much from the very beginning, I did not trust Kate Gosselin. Like the first time I saw her, I was like, okay, no, this, no, there's something wrong here. Um, so that, that's that's the question I want to put out is. If, female listeners did you trust kate goslin at any point on john and kate plus eight i remember my uh i remember talking to my wife when the show was on and uh she didn't you defend kate goslin a little bit in the beginning she's standing here now nah, she's she's waffling she says maybe a little bit mm. <laughs> well do you, did you have any strong feelings about kate goslin at all nate um, I don't think I ever saw the show, so I don't know that I formed an opinion. Um, I think my problem with her was that she was just always so mean. Like, like anytime she got flustered, she would go mean very quickly. Like mm. it, was, it was never far below the surface of just being very hateful towards, you know, whatever was going on. It's specifically her husband. Uh, she was just very, very ugly to him. Like when things would go south, and they would have their good moments, and you know, speak lovingly of each other. But mm-hmm. just, I don't know, something about it. I just didn't didn't quite trust her. It's kind of a. Did you ever watch that show, Lie to Me? <laughs> no, I know what you're talking about. I never saw it. Are you, the micro facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, maybe maybe that's what you're picking up on because you you see those in those flat those brief flashes before it turns full anger. If you get those little hints of contempt <laughs> you're immediately like oh this is not good this is this is not gonna go well like if that's there that's like basically battery acid on that relationship and it's yeah. eventually gonna corrode it but so i guess the t- um the breakdown was that she as far as i can tell she wanted out of the relationship he 
Like she was, she was clearly addicted to fame. Mm. All kinds of, you know, plastic surgery, chasing fame everywhere she could find it. And, uh, and he was like dating, he was like almost, he was pushing 40 or something and started dating like a 19 year old and decided that he was a DJ. He was going to, you know, midlife crisis kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I mean, my outside perspective a, a lot of times was that it was, it seemed like one of those family situations that was kind of fragile just because I don't know very many people that can do the twins and then sex tuplets and that not put a strain on their marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to have the attention of everyone through the reality show, it was just like, I just don't think this is going to go well because it's just <laughs> fame is going to kind of. It's going to be a lot of disposable income, and then you're just going to see where people's hearts are really at, and you know, you get everyone's everyone's basically all up in their business all the time. Everything's being filmed, like you just added another layer of stress on top of it. So I guess what this is all building towards, obviously, is we need a reality show with Richard Simmons and John Gosling together. Oh yeah, uh, he like. Is he doing it? Are they like some kind of tag team duo where they're doing like a stripping fitness club? <laughs> or I don't know. Maybe it's like a uh, maybe it's like a, an intervention where like Richard Simmons comes out of hiding to try to help John Gosselin get his life back together, which is mm. which is a strange concept. But uh, so they they get together. Richard Simmons kind of counsels him through this dark time and then i feel like they hit the road it's like a like a like a like a road trip where they just drive across the country helping people would they become the opening act for tony robbins (laughs) kind of get the crowd all like jazzed up even though you don't need that with a tony robbins event but no i well i don't know that that could be i i definitely see an episode where they wind up in texas at Joel Osteen's church and have like a meeting with Joel Osteen. Mm. And there's lots of smiling. Yes. Lots of like smiling. not, not a lot of dialogue, just kind of like <clears throat> going back and forth at them, like different stages of smiling at each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what we would call this. Um, Simmons and John and rich. We'll just call it John and rich. Hmm. I would watch this. Yeah. Show. yeah, I think John and Rich works. It's gonna it, it needs that subtitle. <laughs> and that's that's what ties it all together. And I, I I'm treading lightly here because I'm just think uh, I don't wanna I don't wanna think out loud too much. <laughs> Could John and Rich um solve the Benedict option? Oh, Interesting. I could see now that's a different angle we could have taken all together is, is Richard Simmons the forerunner of the Benedict option? <laughs> like this seems like that's what he's actually doing. Like he is go he went full Benedict. <laughs> is, yeah. Yeah. Is, is he in the shack? Oh my gosh. Yeah. He is exercising the Benedict option in the shack right now. But he is not the gay character from Beauty and the Beast. No, no, no. Just to make it clear. 
Although that would be an impressive tie-in if you could pull four <laughs> pop culture things together into one. Cons- I mean, that would basically prove the Illuminati at that point. <laughs> Nick Claymore, I'm outraged. Perfect. Then this podcast has been a success. I'm outraged. I'm outraged at everything we've talked about today. All right, he's Nate Claiborne. You can find him at NathanielClaiborne.com. You can find him at Chris Christ and Pop Culture, where do you have a title for your new. I don't yet. It's it, it's in between the draft and editing phase, so I look for it maybe in the next couple weeks or so. Hell no, we'll get on this, man. <laughs> All right, Nate. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for talking about Richard Simmons and John Gosselin, and we will catch you next time, buddy. Yeah, sounds great. Till next time. <laughs>